0: The joyousness of the hour today brings us to an opportunity to assemble on this Lord's Day, this first day of the week, to offer adoration, exaltation, and homage to the great God of heaven. How good indeed He has been to all of us, to permit us the enjoyment of health this morning, that things are as well with you and me as they are, and allow us to in fact direct our attention to the One who so richly deserves it. It is true that as we come together this morning, we have the opportunity to think about those who we've listed, of course, on the sick list, but also for this portion of our service after having sung these joyous hymns of praise to God, to give some thought to some teachings in the Word of God. It is for the next few moments I would ask us to reflect upon a godly child. By way of introduction, of course, this does fit into that series of lessons that we have been considering of late. This series in which we began by looking at the family and highlighted some of the matters that she faces this day. Quite often the family, as we know, is being literally battered and attacked on every hand. After all, it is a very bedrock foundation of that which the church should be, the nation should be, and even the happiness that comes to you and me as individuals. In fact, we begin by looking at a godly father, reminding ourselves even from the time of the Garden of Eden onward, some of the features in the Word of God about that man who would be so highly prized in the sight of God as a godly father. Then we looked at a godly mother and reminded ourselves also of how rich the biblical teaching is concerning her, the influence and impact she can have on the marvelous wonder of those children that grow up under her nurture and tutelage. Today, in fact, let's come to another member of that family, Let's in fact look more carefully and specifically at a godly child. Does the Word of God address children? Are they to behave in certain ways? Are there to be certain characteristics of them that also form a part of that pattern that God has set forth and that would be the proper matter as it relates to what a family could be and what they can grow up to be in realization of the revelation of God's Word? As you'll note near the bottom of that slide, as we've looked at both the father and the mother, it'll not, of course, at all be shocking that there are some things in the Bible about a godly child. That child that, in fact, behaves or conducts him or herself in that way that God would find most pleasing. For that reason, today, over the next few moments, let's look into the matter of a godly child, often referring to the Word of God and using it as the guide in our thinking. As we have done in the two previous lessons, let's approach this one similarly. We had an initial section of those previous lessons in which we looked at the man. What does the God say about a man? And what does He say about a woman? By the same token, what does He say about a child? Maybe those matters can form a background or a foundation to how the rest of the lesson will develop. In fact, before us, you'll notice the following... When God fashioned Adam and Eve there in Genesis, the first chapter, we remember that in His ordering and His fantastic creation, it was the case that after forming of them in His image and in His likeness, that the very next statement He made, verse 28 of Genesis 1, was, "...be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth." It was thus to them, to this man and woman, even though they had been specially created, It was not to be so for their children. They, in fact, were to be born naturally. Adam and Eve had within them the capacity, had within them the capability of procreation, bringing into the world a new human being. And thus we find that something rather remarkable follows even from those passages. The very natural, of course, reality from their right of procreation was a baby, a child. So many things in our world today often, frankly, by way of religious teaching, has cluttered and clouded and often removed the preciousness of a child from the way in which the Holy Scriptures have taught it. In fact, I have hopefully helped us see that a child is not born in sin. A child is not born bearing the iniquity of Adam or Eve or his or her parents or anybody else. A child is born in absolute pristine purity. It's innocent. It's innocent. It is not encumbered with sin. It is not encumbered with iniquity. It is not encumbered with ungodliness. Now might we say again, John Calvin brought a great dearth on the human family when he began to teach such and it has in fact remained so in many denominational dogmas even until this day. In Ezekiel 28 verse 15, the prophet Ezekiel prompted by the God of heaven said to the king of Tyre, "'Thou wast perfect in all thy ways from the day thou wast created until sin was found in thee.'" To that king of Tyre, that marvelous and powerful prophet who labored by the river Kibar, said to him, "'You were perfect from the time you were created until you chose to sin, until you made that decision. You failed to walk in harmony with the power and will of God.'" Sin is not something that's inherited it is something that's committed. It is by willful choice and volition a transgression of God's will. First John 3 verse 4. So often the Old Testament as well as the New reminds us then that a child is born into this world not bearing iniquity or sin, but in holiness and in purity and in innocence. David said in Psalm 51 verse number 7, about the cleanliness with which he could be if, in fact, he were right before God. And that kind of cleanness is what describes that newborn baby, of course. It is to be noted in Isaiah 1 verse 18 that there the careful feature about that cleanliness is describing those who stand before God. And certainly that child without sin is in that kind of circumstance. Isn't it amazing, even Jesus in Matthew 18... Beginning in verse number 1, His disciples, in fact, were somewhat in an argument. They were in a decision about this. Who is the greatest in the kingdom? Jesus brought a little child, set Him in the midst of them, and the Lord made this statement. "'Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble themselves as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven.'" Now might we note this, here the Lord brought a little child and set him up as a partial example. You must be humble, he said, like this little one, else you'll never enter the kingdom. And thus, if a child is born in iniquity, the Lord was lifting up and said, we all need to be little sinners. Of course, such is absurd. This little child in his purity and innocence is such that his humility was a powerful example to what we often as adults ought to strive to be. Often that child can so easily let disagreements go on by. A few moments after a little fight, there's harmony and peacefulness again amongst those children at play. We see then sometimes a child has a far better viewpoint toward forgiveness than sometimes even we do. It might be fair to say, as you look at some of the other features about the Word of God, children are described like this in Psalm 127, verse 3. Children are an heritage of the Lord. And blessed is the man that hath his quiver full of them. Indeed, as we shall find later in the lesson this morning, so many attributes and qualities that a godly child that possesses that bring great rejoicing and great joy to not only his or her parents, but certainly others, grandparents, who well may have much joy as they observe their growth, their maturation, the choices they make in life. Near the bottom of that very slide... It is, of course, fair to say that a child is not born with a great deal of knowledge or with a great deal of wisdom. They are born into this world knowing virtually nothing. They begin, though, to learn it so quickly. They watch what takes place around them. They observe dad and mom at length. They appreciate what others do and they learn from it. Paul even stated, didn't he, in 1 Corinthians the 13th chapter, that when I was a child, I spake as a child. I thought as a child. I understood as a child. But notice he contrasts it. He says, when I became a man, I put away childish things. Paul grew up. He matured as we naturally expect the normal order of growth and maturity to be. And so as that child grows and learns and matures... It, in fact, affords to the parents and others a tremendous opportunity to mold and train and instruct and direct and shape so that that one will not only come to know the Word of God, but will be a rightly noted citizen who approves always that which is truthful and that which is the just and right thing. Jesus blessed the little children in Matthew, the 19th chapter, and that stands for us today as still a high compliment to what children often set before us as adults as duty and responsibility. With those words of introduction about what the Bible says concerning children and their birth, what are some attributes that we would then hope that a child would come to instill within himself by the direction of parents and the direction of the Word of God, that that child could be a godly one? Might we begin in the following way? What about the relationship that child should have to his or her parents. As we describe this situation, described in the Bible, of course, we would be quick to notice that there are many circumstances in life today when parents behave themselves in such a way that a child might find portions of this difficult. But we nonetheless appreciate that when dad and mom are doing their job, as he indicates, it would be hoped that a child would come to respond in the following way. First of all, that child is spoken of as needing to have an honorable respect for and even a love for his or her parents. Now we highlighted in the last two weeks, did we not, that fathers are to love their children, mothers are to love their children, and so too children should respond in like respect and honor and even a degree of love, of course, toward them. We might well begin as early on as the 20th chapter of Exodus even under the character of that Old Testament regime, the Law of Moses, the fifth of the Ten Commandments, read like this, "...honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee." Just as surely as God had made comments and even commandments relative to murder and theft and adultery and all those other matters of which we're aware... He also safeguarded the integrity of the family by commanding of the children, Honor your father and your mother. Later in Malachi 1 verse 6, we notice the last book of the Old Testament highlights again that an honorable son will honor his parents. And can we not recall that the Apostle Paul joined in this discussion as well in Ephesians 6. Beginning in verse 1 of that chapter, Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. But then verse 2, honor thy father and thy mother. You see, children should then come to honor their parents, having been brought up to note that that's the proper thing, having been instilled and instructed from an early age that this is the right behavior. It is to be noted, though, as we commented earlier, there are some who do not behave that way. And the Bible even notes it itself. In fact, in Deuteronomy 27 verse 16, you'll notice the Scripture says, Cursed be he that setteth light by his father or his mother. That phrase, setteth light, in the Hebrew literally means to dishonor. It is a shameful thing for that son, that daughter to dishonor his or her parents, to not hold them up in the rightful respect that would be according to the things the Bible reveals. And that is a shameful way for those children to conduct as well. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 11, even the wise man Solomon said, There is a generation that doth not respect father or mother. That was true in that ancient day, and it's still true today, isn't it? That there are those who, in fact, will look upon what dad and mom have done to put food in their stomach, to put a roof over their head, to put clothes on their back, and to turn a blind eye to that as if it's meaningless. The Proverbs writer says that's a shameful kind of behavior. We also notice in Proverbs, this time, chapter 19, verse 26, that when one behaves oneself in that kind of way, it is in fact described explicitly as a thing of shame. We've highlighted then, haven't we, that it would be a rightful thing to honor, to have respect for one's father and one's mother, Some additional passages that point us in that direction are these. In Proverbs 23, verse number 22, Hearken unto thy father, and despise not thy mother when she is old. That helps us appreciate we aren't just talking about little children or even teenagers, but yea, even those of us who are older. We shouldn't forget mother or father when they advance to their later years. Striving also to ensure that they have the proper care that is proper, the care that's rightful and needful for their maintenance as a human being in a realistic way. Even when she is old, we ought not to forsake and forget and ignore. It is a fascinating thing, isn't it, to appreciate that whether one is young or old, it seems as if this degree of honor is a very basic and foundational matter that charges and challenges us, this is to be a part of the way the family was intended by God to be. Not only that degree of honor, but look at these examples. We could even revisit the opening book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 46. Joseph had been separated from his father Jacob for many years at this point. Remember, his brothers had the audacity to sell him into slavery. And so Jacob had not seen Joseph for years. However, when finally information was relayed that Joseph was still alive and plans were made for Jacob and the family to come to Egypt, we learn in that particular verse that at the time when Jacob and Joseph met, what a tender occasion of love and familial consideration it was. The text even says that Joseph laid his head on his shoulder and they wept for a good while. It was a tender meeting, it seems, of great joy when finally Jacob and Joseph were able to meet again. What about the example of our Lord? In John the 19th chapter, while He Himself hanged on a cross, He nonetheless was sufficiently concerned about the well-being of Mary, His mother, that He committed her care unto John, one of the apostles, Woman, behold thy son, and also to him, behold thy mother. Jesus wanted to ensure that Mary was cared for and that she would have the things necessary and needed. Not only, though, should children have this degree of respect and honor. What about the matter of obedience, point number two in our lesson? Not only did the Old Testament highlight that thought of respect, but it also made note even of a child's responsibility as it related to obeying father and mother. In fact, perhaps we could begin with those words of Paul in Ephesians, the 6th chapter. Again, it's verse 1. "'Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right.'" When we ask what is the right thing to do, what is right, that text identifies part of it as being this, "'Children, obey your parents.'" It is true, isn't it, that sometimes one of the most challenging things for any of us to do, either young or old, is to do what we're told, to obey that which we are given commandment to do. And yet isn't it true that while young, that is a pristine time for a child to learn the importance of and the needfulness of and the value of simple obedience. Near the bottom of that particular slide, I would ask you to notice in Colossians 3.20, another New Testament passage that reads it like this, "'Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord.'" I've highlighted in quotation marks three phrases coming directly out of the Scriptures as it relates to this children's obedience to parents. First, "'In all things, in the Lord, it's well-pleasing to the Lord.'" as if to highlight in a trio of ways so that we'll not misunderstand or neglect. This is a valuable thing and it's vital in the family. I would ask, in what way is it vital? Perhaps the Scriptures point it to us this way. To learn obedience is one of the most foundational, one of the most basic truths that will serve us well in life for the following reason. First, we're commanded to obey the magistrates and those in authority in Titus 3.1. So later in life, we will need to have the responsibility of conducting ourselves in obedience, whether it be to teachers, policemen, law officials, civil authorities, judges, or otherwise. And perhaps the greatest thought of all would be this. Isn't it true that our entrance into heaven requires it? Hebrews 5, verses 8 and 9 say it like this, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. If we thus can't learn while we're young to be obedient, it may well be that we'll never learn to obey the Christ, and thus we'll be forever lost. Obedience is important then, and as a child we should serve well and strive to learn the value of and the needfulness of that obedience. Again, there are examples in the Scriptures that highlight how special a thing this is. We might well revisit the example of Jacob in Genesis 28-7. It was on that occasion that in his obedience to his parents, Isaac and Rebekah, the text says he obeyed them. And might we notice even at that point he wasn't a terribly young man any longer. But nonetheless, he still obeyed them. What about that example we also find about Jesus? At the age of 12, when his parents took him to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem, we notice that even though for a little time there, some three days, they were apart, when his parents did find him, verse 51 says, he was subject unto them from that day onward. Now, that isn't to imply that he wasn't subject to them before, but in light of this placement in life he had arrived at, he nonetheless now subjected himself to, in a specific way, obedience to his parents. In such a way, it serves to us as a remarkable example of the same. Obedience to parents, respectfulness for parents. What about yet a third matter of which the Scriptures speak concerning children? A godly child, perhaps as the name suggests, is a righteous one. A righteous child. Some verses that help us appreciate that very thought might be these. Even from the time of youth, Solomon in his wisdom had this to say in Ecclesiastes 12 verse number 1. Though many things in that book challenge us even to appreciate that one can pursue many things in life... May we never forget, Solomon had said all of it is vanity and vexation of spirit. But in that last chapter, he did highlight this in verse 13. He specifically said, we'll note two verses in that chapter. But verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. With that thought in mind, what had started the chapter? If it's our duty... To fear God and keep His commandments. Notice it should start in youth. Verse number 1. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. While the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Young people, remember God even while you're young. There are so many things that can turn your attention, take your opportunities and time, fill your life with any number of things. Don't ever take God out of your life. Remember Him even in the days while you are young and always keep Him a part of your pursuits in life, your career, your family, the other things that you do. For as long as you will remain centered on Him and His will, all things will work out in an acceptable way. Remember your Creator even in the days when you're young. It'll serve you well even when you're older. Those Bible verses that you remember now likely will be the ones you remember when you're old. You see, the mind is stronger often when you're young. It's more pliable and plastic, if you please. So often those matters that you commit to memory now will be the ones you'll remember to your dying day. Not only can righteousness be described in a way like that one, consider also in Proverbs 23, verse 24, the text that Brother Greg read earlier, reminding us that that righteous child, in fact, will bring gladness and joy to his or her parents. And many of us know very well the pridefulness, the happiness and joy that comes along with a child who has made the proper decisions, who has in fact approached sometimes difficult and challenging circumstances, but yet always maintained an attachment to the Lord and His will, and thus emerged in a victorious and triumphant way from it. It does bring a great sense of comfort and solace that the child has chosen that way. Perhaps finally, in light of that statement, Whosoever, Proverbs 28 verse 7 tells us, Whoso keepeth the law is a wise son. If you want to be wise as you grow up, young person, keep the law of God. There may be times it's unpopular, and there may be times others will misunderstand you, and there may be times that in fact they will even make it difficult for you, but don't lose sight that. Whoso keepeth the law is wise. Many times those temptations that will come to our youth And we all know it well that those are times of life often that are used to experiment and used to test and try and pursue things. May we never forget that those temptations often lead, of course, to the place that is so evil and so wrong. To Timothy, that younger son of his, Paul said, keep thyself pure. 1 Timothy 5.22 Young person, you do the same. Despite again, others may heckle you, insult you, blaspheme you, make fun of you. You keep yourself pure, and you'll never regret it. The purity that accords with it reminds us, flee youthful lusts, Second 2 Timothy 2.22. Those youthful lusts that lead to nowhere good, flee them, avoid them, be not near them. And all of that perhaps takes us to yet a fourth lesson. In addition to these... In the fourth place, to that child, the Scriptures remind them, be attendant unto instruction. It is true, is it, that sometimes all of us need a healthy reminder of a fact like that one. But it is true that even the Scriptures direct it specifically to the children. Consider these. That godly child will be interested in hearing the wisdom of others. Sometimes a child should be reminded of the fact... You're young and you haven't experienced what I have. You haven't seen all the things that that can come about. Godly children will listen to those things stated by those that are their elders. Those who have in fact been through the crucible of experience for many decades. Often they have words of wisdom that can help to make the pathway of that child easier so they'll not make the same mistakes. Sometimes a grandparent. Sometimes parents will have those wonderful words that can say, you know, I thought that way too once. I believe you'll do better if you'll think about this idea. Consider this if you haven't yet. In fairness, isn't it amazing that passages like these tell us, even in terms of assemblies, like we're in right now, young person, there may be many of your friends who have not the greatest interest in matters religious, and thus perhaps tempt you not to go, don't give in to them. In Deuteronomy, as well as Nehemiah, we have examples where the parents gathered the children, even under the law of Moses, and they sat under the tutelage of the priests and prophets, listening intently to what was taught. Don't ever forsake the Bible studies or the worship services. You continue to go. Even if your friends won't go with you, even if they make fun of you going, you continue to go. When you gather those assemblies, you are gathering wisdom, not just from men, but you're gathering it from God. Properly applied and implemented in life and use it in such a way that you, of course, will live as God would have you to do. Isn't it remarkable that of Timothy, Paul said, From a babe thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. From a babe, Timothy had known the Scriptures. How could that be? First, because his parents... His mother and grandmother especially had taught him. But it seems certain that he had also gathered with those that were the rightful saints of the day and been taught the matters of the Word of God. How thankful we can be for the young people that gather in our midst, who come and are such a vital part of the services now, and of course will be the church of tomorrow. Perhaps finally, in light of those matters, be a good example, part number five. A young person can be so influential. I know that there are adults who typically sit in the positions of jurisdiction and authority. But may we never overlook the fact that a child, too, can influence his or her peers and sometimes can influence those who are even older to think about things in a proper perspective and to approach things in the rightful light. Consider Daniel for just a moment. Here was a youth hauled off into Babylonian captivity in Daniel, the opening chapter. And yet, we find in verse 8, one who had the nerve and the commitment and the dedication to say, verse number 8 of Daniel 1, I will not defile myself with the king's dainties. What the king offered, Daniel had been trained sufficiently, perhaps by parents or otherwise. He knew the will of God and it was his desire to be a firm and devoted servant to it. He purposed in his heart not to defile himself. Young person, you too can be a great example. So many will in fact watch you, observe you, look at the decisions that you have made in our making. And these examples perhaps point us to this precious text in 1 Timothy 4.12. Again, to Timothy, Paul wrote, One younger than he, let no man despise thy youth, But be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in faith, in spirit, in purity. A sixfold example, Timothy, you should be. And notice he began, don't let them despise your youth. They may not approve of it, but don't let them despise it. Hold your name high. Your father gave you a name, and a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor more than silver and gold. Protect that name and be proud of it. And if you have become a Christian, you have been given the highest name of all, the name of Jesus. Live up to the calling of that name. Live worthily to it, guard moment by moment, day by day, so that you can be the rightful one that can lead others to Jesus. Treating others, including even those older, with respect is a part of what's involved in this attending to instruction. We find in the book of Job, we find it even in the statement of Matthew 7, verse number 12. It is with all that in mind this morning that we come to highlight some of the features about these godly children. One final thought in the lesson today shall be yours. We also know, and it perhaps would be remiss not to mention it, but a child is so frequently one who we observe to have so much energy. They often seemingly can go hours and hours. It seems so vibrant and energetic. Might we notice, young person, that the Bible would encourage you to use that energy to develop and channel it in a way that, again, doesn't forget the God of heaven. There are many things that will begin to take a role in your life. Sports, hobbies, careers, boyfriend or girlfriend when that time comes. Don't ever lose sight of the fact. Make sure to channel a part of that energy for the utility and the accomplishment of the will of God in your life. Develop your talents, your skills, and your capacities in the way that God would have you do so that you, on that grand day of judgment, can be one who would have been noted as a servant as God gave you the capability to do. Remember, the one-talent man who hid it, God was not pleased with him when he didn't use what God had given him. Make sure we each use those talents and skills God has given us. And with that, the lesson closes summarizing all of these points. To be a godly child, have respect for your parents. Furthermore, obey them. Be one described as one of righteousness. That is to say, squarely founded on the Word of God. In addition, as we've noted near the close of the lesson... Attend to instruction, be that rightful example, and channel your abilities in the way that would be pleasing to God. Perhaps some of that is beneficial information for all of us. It might be this morning as we reflect and examine on our lives. Maybe there's one or more in the audience who is not standing rightfully before God. You've never become a Christian, perhaps. Why do you delay? Why do you wait? Why procrastinate? Today is the day of salvation. And may we never forget that tomorrow may never come, Proverbs 27.1. If we could assist you today in your response to the gospel, you need to believe Jesus to be the Son of God, repent of the sins in your life, confess the name of Jesus as the Savior, and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. If we could be of assistance in doing that, why not today? If you have at one time been a faithful child of God, but you no longer are, you need to repent of those sins You need to confess them, and we'll be happy to pray along with you to God that He would forgive them. If today we could help you in either of those ways, why not? If you would, let that be known while together we stand and while we sing.